Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is episode 17 of season four, and we're in the middle of a Facebook Live book reading. This is Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved, and we're all the way, all the way into chapter 10. Had a good day today. I hope your day was good, too. I got to spend some time uh, talking on the phone to cousin, cousin Ben Miller. He's written a couple of books and has explored some uh, audiobook options and things like that. So I was learning from him and uh, looking to the possibility of turning delight into an audiobook. Thought you might be interested to know about that. I also put a link to Ben's two books. He's got two books in a series that I know he's working on at least the beginning stages of a third. Uh, some kind of sci-fi, near future, a really fun stuff to read. High adventure, really loved it. Couldn't put the first one down in particular. The second one really fleshed out some of the character and storylines. So I think you'd really enjoy those reads if you get a chance to, to visit that site. I also spent a lot of time today getting ready for Reformation, which is tomorrow. And then, of course, our uh, national election is coming up early next week. And I did a video uh, as well as a blog available on the Next Step community blog. That's community.findmynextstep.org. And I put a link to the three-minute theological short video. It's on the walking the tightrope between unity and division. Something I think we often get wrong, but Jesus is with us and keeps leading us forward, and so it's going to be okay. So check out that video short when you get done tonight, too. Uh, share that video on your Facebook page or in your Twitter feed, on Instagram, or anywhere you post, like, or share. Be glad to get that kind of Reformation slash election time video out in, in front of a few people. I uh, really enjoyed doing it today. If you, like me, are a detail person, you, then you want to watch it not just on your phone, but on, on the screen of your computer. There's some details, especially in the emails from the Apostle Paul in the first part of the video that I really you know, spent some time doing, but the, the details just kind of made them for me. Uh, and of course, Luther, it, uh, it's kind of a fun thing too. I, okay, I won't, I'm going to have to give a spoiler alert on a three-minute video if I'm not careful. So we're reading Delight, and we are on chapter 10. We just read the first section of chapter 10, God delights to shape you. And we notice that when God is in charge and we are not, that can be kind of scary or uncomfortable sometimes, except for the fact that when the clay is feeling most uncomfortable and, and uh, the strangest things are happening to the clay, that's when the potter is perhaps most focused and most careful with, with that creative mind and that careful hand. So... Uh, remember that you're not in charge of your own discipleship life. And that's actually good news because you don't have to do it your way. You've got somebody that knows way better what to do and, and what your faith is going to look like. So God delights to shape you. God's work shapes your adventure. I'm on page 192. And while God delights in your complete dependence, he also delights in your full engagement. Another kind of tension we get to hold on to in our faith. That's the title of this section for tonight, God Delights in Your Full Engagement. God absolutely loves saving you. I mean, really. Like, really, really. God's desirable delight is to give you the kingdom as a gift. God's thoughtful delight is for you to be saved. God rescues you and picks you up and swings you around in an intimate embrace and with joyful delight exults over you with singing. God absolutely loves saving you. You know, 
I think we miss that sometimes. I think we know he's a God of, we know God is a God of love. We know that Jesus loves us and died for us. And we know we're stinking sinners. And so we kind of get the impression that God has to kind of hold his nose and, and, and dig through the trash and find us and uh, almost reluctantly, but certainly graciously bring us home and back into his family. And while there is a sense in which you can talk about our sin is throwing us on the garbage heap. I think it's also a central theme of Scripture that God absolutely loves saving you. Like, the best part of his day is when he gets to forgive people's sins. God absolutely loves bringing you into the kingdom. It's his delight. Uh, sorry, uh, back to our regularly scheduled book reading. God absolutely loves saving you. And God loves giving you everything you need for salvation as a gift without any merit or worthiness in you. If you lived in a merit-based society, that's rather hard to wrap your mind around. But God loves giving undeserved gifts. God delights in your complete dependence. Your dependence allows God's grace to shine. Happy Reformation. As an heir of the Reformation, things like grace alone and faith alone have been drummed into me from a young age. Happy Reformation. Perhaps the first Bible verse I learned was Ephesians 2. Was in Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Salvation is a gift. And even the faith that receives the gift is, wait for it, a gift. That's Paul. But it's also Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the bankrupt in spiritual currency, because theirs is the kingdom without paying for it as a gift. Have no fear, little flock, for the Father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Unless you turn and become like this little child, who has nothing but dependence to bring to the relationship, then you just can't get into the kingdom. According to Paul, according to Jesus, God loves to give the free gift of salvation, which is good news for us, since there's no other way to receive the kingdom. The image of the potter and the clay emphasizes this passive receiving of the kingdom gift. The clay can't tell the potter how to sculpt. In fact, the clay brings nothing to the table at all. A lump of clay is completely passive during the sculpting process, almost painfully so. And only when a pot is fully formed and fired does it begin to be useful for other people. As great as that image is for breaking me of the habit of trying to shape and mold my own faith journey, the process of discipleship is a little more complicated than that. Scripturally speaking, God delights in your complete dependence. And, scripturally speaking, God also delights in your full engagement. If all you had was the image of clay being shaped by a potter, you could reasonably assume that you can sit back and relax and let salvation come to you from the outside. And while there are some important things right about that thought, Salvation is by grace from the outside for the sake of Christ, not because of you or your work. Still, the Bible thinks it's a bit more nuanced than that. Often, the verses that talk most about how we passively receive salvation in complete dependence go right on to describe how actively engaged we get to be in the process. 
It's like someone got peanut butter on my chocolate. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So far, so good. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is followed directly by Ephesians 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know Ephesians 2 verse 10 came right after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Or is that new to you? No matter how often I see those verses back to back, I still get a little jolt of surprise. Salvation is, on the one hand, by grace, through faith, given as a gift and not a result of works. And in the next breath, Paul says we are the work of the divine craftsman. The result of God shaping and molding and forming us is that we end up walking in the same good works that we were not a- that were not able to earn salvation in the first place. You are completely passive. And, as God's workmanship, you are completely engaged. Notice, though, when it comes to your complete engagement... Even your active participation is framed as God's work in you. God saves and shapes you for a purpose. And the good works you walk in, as a result, were laid out in front of you by God's intention and design. Your complete dependence and your active engagement in the things that bring God delight both result in no boasting, because both originate with God. You can see that dynamic of complete dependence and active engagement in the Philippians 2 passage we've looked at before. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, that is, he heard and put into practice, so now, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For... It is God who works in you both to will, yes please, and to work for his good pleasure. Wow. That's Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Did you know Philippians 2 verse 13 came right after Ephesians, Philippians 2 verse 12? No matter how often I see those verses back to back, I still get a little bolt, jolt of surprise. You are completely engaged in the process. You're even supposed to work out your own salvation. The fear and trembling relates to what we saw about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is submitting yourself to God's will, holding on to and putting yourself under God's commands and promise. And at the same time, even while you are working, God is also working. God is working in you to shape both what you delight to do, your will, and the work you do, the work that results in God's delight. Even when you are most actively engaged in God's work, God is actively engaged working in you. God delights in your full engagement, and God shapes that engagement in you. I love that Paul puts down the duality of your work and God's work in you so clearly while writing to the followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi. Paul got to see something happen in Philippi that I think captures the essence of active engagement coupled with complete dependence. 
the story takes some time to tell, and it needs a little setup to be clear, but stick with me. The story of Paul and Lydia perfectly captures the delight of being actively engaged in following Jesus, while God remains completely in control of the process. By the time we get to Acts chapter 16, where our story is recorded, Paul is on his second missionary journey around the Mediterranean. This time, Paul is traveling with a guy named Silas. Yes, there's a backstory. And these partners in the gospel have just picked up a young gun named Timothy. Paul and Silas and Timothy have a plan. They want to go preach the gospel in the Roman province of Asia. No, not China. The Roman province of Asia, the western half of what we know as Turkey. This Asia includes cities like Philadelphia and Sardis and Thyatira, not Beijing, Shenzhen, or Shanghai. So Paul wants to preach in Asia, and get this, the Holy Spirit won't let him. I know, right? What's up with that? Instead, Paul and Silas and Timothy head out on a two-and-a-half-week hike cross-country to find out where God actually wants them to go next. They think they've got it figured out as they get to the western end of Turkey. They want to go north, up into a region called Bithynia, but Acts 16 says again, very explicitly, that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go into the region of Bithynia. These missionaries don't go into Asia, per plan A, and they don't go into Bithynia, per plan B. Instead, they end up in a port city called Troas, where they pick up a guy named Luke. Yes, the Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and incidentally, the book of Acts, including Acts chapter 16. If you look closely at the text, you can see the narrator starts using we at this point in the story. Are you with me so far? Paul and his companions are working pretty hard here, but one thing is painfully clear. Although they are completely and actively engaged in this missionary journey, God is the one in control. In the city of Troas, God gives the assembled team clear marching orders. In a divine dream, Paul sees a person from the region of Macedonia asking for help. Macedonia is just across the Aegean Sea, so Paul and company board the first available ship and set sail, blown by the guiding wind of the Spirit of Jesus, which is how they end up in the city of Philippi, the capital of the province of Macedonia. Phew! Deep breath. They have finally arrived. It seemed like it seemed a little dicey there for a moment, but Paul and the boys are back in business. After being guided, let alone deterred, by the Spirit, they are now ready to do their part. But not so fast. You would think Paul would do what he always does when he enters a new city, but Paul can't follow his standard playbook in Philippi. You see, wherever Paul, whenever Paul visits a new city, he typically goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and proclaims Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. If they listen, he teaches more. If they don't listen, he goes to the Gentiles. That's Paul's M.O. But there is no synagogue in the Roman colony of Philippi. So Paul can't follow his standard operating procedure. Instead, Paul and his companions end up at a riverside prayer meeting and women's Bible study. That's where Paul runs into a woman named Lydia. And maybe you've never heard of Lydia. That's okay. You don't actually, we don't actually know a lot about her. 
But here's what we do know. Lydia is from the city of Thyatira, not Shanghai, not Beijing. Thyatira, right smack dab in the middle of the Roman province of Asia, which is where Paul was trying to get at the very beginning of this Acts chapter 16 misadventure, but the spirit wouldn't let him. We aren't given the details on how Lydia ended up in this exact place at this exact time. We know that Lydia is a dealer in purple cloth, or perhaps the purple dye that made Thyatira world famous. But we don't know what she was doing in Philippi. Probably something to do with her trade? But this is no simple business trip. She has a local address and local real estate with accommodations large enough for multiple guests. As the head of her own household, she was fairly well off. Most likely, that means her husband left her the family business when he died. Lydia is also the name of a geographical region, and it was common practice in Paul's day for freed slaves to take their name from the region of their release. So it may well be that Lydia was a slave set free by the man she married before he died and left her and her slaves in charge of running Lydia's Purple Dye Imports and Emporium. Of course, that's reading between the lines, but it's not too far of a stretch to pull together a reasonable account of her history that fit the facts we know. We know she's a woman of means. We know she's a dealer in purple. We know her husband is not mentioned, and we know her name is shared by local geography. We also know she was a God-fearer, that is, a Gentile who believed in the God of the Old Testament. We don't know who first told her the stories of the God who created and loved, who promised Abraham his offspring would bless the whole world, who took a chosen people out of slavery in Egypt and cut covenant with them at Sinai, who went with them into the wilderness wandering, planted them in the land, promised David a son who would rule the nations in peace. We don't know where Lydia first heard those stories of promise. We know the God she grew up with were dangerous and fickle. We know idols always take and never give. We know false gods always expect more and more of you until you're exhausted in their service. They always tear down your relationships, destroy your self-esteem, burden you beyond what you can bear, and maximize despair, self-centeredness, and burden in your life. And we know Lydia came to believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was somehow her God, too. Lydia's on a journey of faith, and God is the one in control of the journey. So to recap, Paul is not where he intended to be, doing something he never does, and Lydia is not where she's supposed to be for reasons we'll never know. If you didn't know any better, you would get the impression that this is a complete coincidence, a chance meeting, a random event. But as you look at the text more carefully, you see very clearly who is in charge of this situation. The Spirit of Jesus leads Paul very clearly, not there or there, but here instead. Paul has an appointment with a woman from Thyatira. He just can't go to Thyatira to meet her. And when God brings Paul way out of his way to meet Lydia, God doesn't sit back and relax. 
God still shows up and delivers. God is still the one in control. The text says God opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to Paul's message. Oh, Lydia is a God-fearer for sure, but she doesn't get credit for that. Paul's a great missionary, but this was not part of his plan. There by the riverside, God shows clearly who is ultimately in control, and Paul and Lydia and Lydia's entire household are caught up and swept away by the mighty current of the river of God's grace. Riding a mighty river current is actually a pretty good description of your journey of faith. Of course, some river rides are intended to be slow, safe, and lazy. I've been to a lazy river at a water park. You float slowly in a big circle and don't actually go anywhere. Well, that's fun for a hot, lazy afternoon with your toddlers. That's not exactly what the life of faith is all about. God delights in your complete dependence. God is the one completely in control. Just ask Paul or Lydia. And God also delights in your full engagement. Your life of faith is not a lazy Sunday afternoon floating in circles. Your life of faith is much more like taking a kayak through whitewater rapids. You certainly aren't in charge of your direction or destination, but you are buckled in, paddling furiously, soaking wet, and loving every active, engaged minute of it. Just ask Paul and Lydia. Lydia isn't in charge of her faith life. God even opens her heart to receive Paul's message. But Lydia is certainly fully engaged in the ride. As soon as she comes to faith, Lydia grabs her paddle and gets soaking wet. She and her whole household are baptized. Lydia makes her home the new center of gospel outreach in the city of Philippi and the region of Macedonia. She opens her house and her life to Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy and the gospel of Jesus. When Paul and Silas get out of prison, they return to their home base at Lydia's house to meet with the believers. Which reminds me, Paul and Silas aren't in control of this missionary journey. God is. But Paul and Silas are paddling furiously, completely, physically and emotionally involved in what God is doing. They start Acts 16 with a hike that probably took them almost three weeks. They gather fellow travelers on the road, take a ship across the Aegean, walk from a port city up to Philippi, have to improvise a new plan when they find there's no synagogue in the city, and then they set up shop at Lydia's place, preach the gospel, cast out an evil spirit, get dragged in front of an angry crowd, are stripped, beaten with rods, and put in stocks in prison where they live through an earthquake, save the jail warden from suicide, baptize his whole household, go back to jail, and refuse to let the local authorities sweep their case under the rug before they eventually get back to Lydia's house for some encouragement. And that's just Acts chapter 16. Phew! That doesn't sound like a lazy river to me. And that's just chapter 16 in the book of Acts. That's just the way it goes with followers of Jesus. You are not ultimately in charge of your faith life. You're along for the ride. But what a ride it is. Knowing you are not in control, you get to live a life engaged. Nope. Knowing you are not in control, you get to live a fully engaged life of faith with abandon.
You get to strap on a helmet and start paddling furiously, expecting to get wet from head to toe. You might even experience some bumps and bruises and moments of exhilaration or even panic along the way. But one thing you are not is a passive observer. You are completely actively involved in this journey of faith where you completely passively receive everything you need for the journey. You don't get credit for being a God-fearer. You don't get credit for listening or believing the gospel. You don't get credit for opening your heart and your home and your life to following Jesus. But who cares about credit? You're on the adventure of a lifetime. To God's delight and yours, you are not in control of your faith life. And you are 100% actively involved in the adventure of following Jesus. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Woohoo! Yes, please! Wow! Here endeth our reading for tonight. Hey, that's a fun, fun section of the chapter, the, the Paul and Lydia story I love. I, I worked on that some with my friend Conrad Gempf over at the London School of Theology, that Lydia backstory. We got to work on that together in a project called Thy Will Be Done a few years back, and uh, I loved, loved that project with Conrad. Hey, thanks for joining me tonight. As always, this uh, Facebook Live video and the podcast that's made from it come to you completely free. And that means if you'd like to help support this ministry of Next Step Press and make sure these videos can stay available for people. If you like what we're doing, and if this kind of active engagement and passive reception makes sense to you and you want to help spread the word, then check out that link for becoming a Next Step patron as well. Getting close to November, December time, maybe now is a good time for you to think about jumping on board with $3 a month or $25 a month or whatever it is you choose. We'd love your support as we continue to try to help people delight in taking a next step following Jesus. Thanks so much for spending some Friday evening or Saturday afternoon with us here at Next Step Press. It's been a delight to be reading this book with you. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. We'll see you again on Monday. Have a happy and safe Reformation and Halloween, and we'll get ready to face the elections together too. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.